Everybody, and welcome to True Stories of Tinseltown. I have not been putting these out. Shame, 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 shame on me. I always say, but I will be now. <laughs> and I'm going to say it again, but I will be now. Um, I moved to a new apartment and um, actually I'm in a new spot. And our this guest I love, I know you guys too, JD, the delightfully delicious John DeLeo. Thank you for coming on once again, John. My pleasure, Grace. Always fun to chat about the old movies with you. I love doing it. I have so much fun with you. It's just such an easy rapport. And I love what we talk about. I think it's fun yeah. stuff. Um, what was I going to ask you? I was going to ask you something. Oh, my. I'm totally blank. Oh, this is one thing I was going to ask you. Did you bring your fishing pole to reel me in if I go into my little, you know, how my brain goes yeah. here, there, and everywhere? Okay, I will. I will. It's it's somewhere around here. Yeah, I'll, I'll reel you in. Reel yeah. me in. I don't mind. Okay. You are helping. Okay. You are helping the our cause. audience. <laughs> Not having to listen to me go here, there, and everywhere. Okay. Oh, and you know what, everybody? I'm going to talk about what uh, a Christmas carol is about. I'm going to describe the whole thing like I did that one time. And you, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Anyway, our shows today. Our show today is on people we like in movies that we're not supposed to. You know, we're, they're supposed to be bad people. And people that, who are supposed to be bad people that we like. Or did I do the same thing? <laughs> They'll get it when, when we get going. Okay, people, I know, every time I say it, too, I'm not sure. I people said it like, twice. Yeah, yeah. We'll, people, they'll get the hang of it. Go ahead. Yeah, people that we're not supposed to like, we like. People that... Yeah. supposed to hate we like yeah. Yeah. okay yeah. all righty so why don't you start john okay this will be a way to establish it i think in a pretty clear way and it's it's two movies but they're practically the same movie even though at first glance you'll think what um anyway these are uh people we're not supposed to like that i think you and i both like we, them we do uh, and the, the two movies in question are both very famous uh Frank Capra's Lost Horizon from 1937 and Vincent Minnelli's Brigadoon from 1954. Now, in both cases, I mean, one, Lost Horizon's in the Himalayas somewhere, and Brigadoon is in the Scottish Highlands somewhere, <laughs> and they're these sort of magical, utopian societies, refuges from the violent, dark, ugly world. And we're supposed to think they're as fabulous as most of the people in them think. And yet as the movies go on, we're, I always start to question what is so great about these places. They Me both too. seem like, you know, weekends at Epcot. <laughs> and after a while, all that serenity, all that peace, right. it seems to get really boring and unchallenging. And you want to get out there and see the world and interact and do something. And go back um, to your own life. Yeah. So in both cases, um, in Lost Horizon, I mean, uh, actually, uh, Ronald Coleman is ambushed and brought there because they want him to take over. They, he got um, kidnapped. 
because, is kidnapped. Because Jane uh, Wyatt read a book she liked, and she went to the dying Maine Poobah and said he'd be great to take over Shangri-La. So they get right, kidnapped. So, yeah, they, he's kidnapped, but he kind of takes to it. Yes. Uh, and in um, Brigadoon, Gene Kelly and Van Johnson stumble upon it. And now in Brigadoon's case, it only comes to life once every hundred years to protect it from the outside world. In Lost Horizon, like I said, it's this sort of Beverly Hills paradise in which uh, it's a fountain of youth as well. Yes, so which is lovely. Age. That's so nice. they're both mag- they both have the magical elements, but mm-hmm. in both cases, there's someone who doesn't want to be there who treated as sort of villains of the story. In Lost Horizon, you have Margot who already lives there, and uh, John Howard, who plays Ronald Coleman's brother, they fall in love and they want out. And so they're disruptive influence. They're ungrateful for this great thing they have. Yes. In Brigadoon, it's a guy, uh, Hugh Lang, who plays Harry Beaton, the girl he loves just married somebody else. Then he's trapped in this place because if anyone leaves Brigadoon, the whole thing goes kaput. So he has to stay, but he wants an education. He wants to fall in love again. But again, he's the villain because he's going to destroy Brigadoon because if he can't have the woman he loves, he's going to take the whole thing down. But of course, with I'm always thinking of, of course he wants to leave. Let the poor man. I know it'll destroy the whole place, but the impulse to leave makes perfect sense. Of course it and, does. And he's certainly not a villain. Now it doesn't end well for any of these people who no, try no. to, so, yeah, to buck the system because they're but, making us think that they are yeah. villains, and they're but not. But I said it, the movies clearly are are extolling the virtues of these so-called paradises. That, uh, like I said. Think about it as time goes on, and it, mm. it doesn't sound like paradise to me. No, and that's, that's all I have to say about those two. Well, what I want to say, and it's true, it, it just ain't heavenly to me. I have there's no yeah. ain't no food in heaven, and this ain't heavenly to me. They get yeah. there, and and for a few, like for uh, you know the woman who has tuberculosis, Isabel Jewell, and yeah, you know, the yeah, other yeah. guy, he can't go back, and then yeah, um, yeah. Lovey, he's happy to be there. But the fact of the matter is. The people live in palaces. They they in yeah. that Chang dude, and they're they're in these really fancy schmancy PJs, silk and satin. The best. Yeah, yeah. They have everything. The best. The best china. The best crystal for their vintage yummy wine. So these people yeah. get the best foods, and of course, guess who serves them? Servers. Guess. Yeah. And then you go out, and then there are people who don't. You know, they're out like hunting and they don't wear shirts and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. they have those big ringing bells. What's right. the music in the joint? And then her playing her, the poor pigeons have to be the, the musicians here. Uh, it just uh, isn't. There's no pizza parlors. Look, that would be no. fun for me if I could like eat and then not get fat and then just having a little well, other things. But it is just, it's not. Utopia for everybody. It's, no, it, it sort of shows us that this is exactly what life is. There are the rich who do this uh, and they whatever, and they're the big rulers and they live in these grand palaces. And then there's the other schmoes who get everything yeah. and bring stuff. And to me, that's not utopic. I guess if, if that's what you're looking for, and yes, you can live a long time. And of course, you know, Ronald Coleman is like attracted and wants. You know, he's into Jane Wyatt, so what the heck? But I'm totally with those two. Get me out of yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get me out. Yep. All right, so what do you got? Okay, so for mine, we are supposed to hate, which I hate. It, and, you know, I don't really like her, but I get mad that we're supposed to not like her. And this is Dorothy McGuire, who plays Katie in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. She... Mm-hmm. 
you know, she's the mom to these two children, a boy and a girl, and her husband, you know, wanted to be a singing star, and they live in a Brooklyn tenement where all poor people live, and he, you know, he takes jobs every now and again as a singing waiter, but more often than not, you know, he's hanging at the bars singing, you know, and he's being kind, and everybody loves him. He's kind and loving, and then she's home scrubbing scrubbing everybody's like clothes she's washing the floors in these tenements in the heat and everything to keep a roof over her two children and her husband's head and they're saying you're hard katie you're hard you know and it's like he gets to be mr fun guy but it's like not fair she's working her butt off and and then she starts feeling guilty like maybe i am hard maybe i am but boy oh boy i just don't get that i don't think that it's it's fair. Right. right. She's the realist who is taking on reality head on mm-hmm. and he's spinning his pipe dreams. Uh, and, you know, he's very entertaining as a dad, certainly. And of course, from the child children's perspective, they can't yeah. they can't see, you know, see what we're seeing. Right. So, yeah, she does seem hard, but she does make it all happen, make it all work. And it is drudgery. There's no doubt about it. So, yeah, yeah, I get you. And her sister says that, you know, the yeah, lo- yeah, wonderful yeah. Joan Bledel. You're hard, Katie. Yeah. Well, Joan Bledel's dressed in great threads. She's been married about four times. She's not, yeah. you know, she's not scrubbing floors. She doesn't have two kids. She has a house. And, yes, yeah. he is. I love James Dunn. He won the Best Supporting yeah. Actor Award. And yeah. I loved him, and he he was heartbreaking too. He 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 was very poignant, and yeah. I do not I did not dislike him at all. I liked him very much, and especially when he's playing that song that breaks my heart. But um, yeah. I just kind of you know I don't feel warmth towards Dorothy McGuire in this. But I yeah. but the reason I get mad is that she really is pulling it all together, keeping them right. keeping a roof over their head. And this is not like she's going off and doing some nice little gig somewhere. She is scrubbing. She's doing all this really terrible menial work in all sorts of weather at all times. So I get mad at that. Right. Um, Shall we stick with the ones we're not supposed to like or go back and forth between the two? Oh, we can go (laughs) back and forth. We can go back and forth. Making it more confusing. Okay, this is a a (laughs) three-pronged one um, in terms of – Three characters played by the same person in the same year that were, well, I was supposed to like them all, and I can't stand all three of them. And uh, this is uh, June Allison in 1954 in her uh, perfect wife mode, um, thinking she's the Myrna Loy of the 1950s, except I love Myrna Loy as the perfect wife, and I want to strangle June Allison. Yeah, I cannot stand Um, June Allison. Woman's World, uh, Executive Suite, and the Glenn Miller story. And like I said, essentially, she's variations on the perfect wife. And... uh, well, let's go one by one. Woman's World, uh, three women with their husbands come to New York because the husbands are all up for this one job, a big, big promotion. And the boss, Clifton Webb, is going to interview and spend time with not just the men, but their wives. And one of the couples is Cornell Wilde and June Allison. And they're from uh, Kansas City and they have kids. So they're like the perf- supposedly the perfect uh, middle America right. couple. And she's set up as someone adorable and unsure of herself and a fish out of water in the big city. 
And we're supposed to like her because she's so unpretentious and unpolished. And quirky. And, um, and quirky, and she doesn't like New York City. So that's, in like in old movies, that sort of like makes you seem like you're salt of the earth. Right. Because the villainous of the piece is, of course, <laughs> glamorous Arlene Dahl from Dallas, who's married to Van Heflin. She has no kids, another red flag, mm-hmm. and she loves Manhattan. So she is set up as the villain of the piece. But she also is a little bit of a... Well, she's also, oh yeah, she comes on to (laughs) Clifton Webb, which is a big mistake in trying to get the job. But uh, I I don't necessarily like June Allison just because she's she's a a pan... Well, basically what she does in all three of these movies is pander to the audience. In Executive Suite and in the Glenn Miller story, she's not as uh, quirky. She's a little more like Lady Macbeth, (laughs) where... She's kind of steely, kind of iron-willed, supposedly in support of the husband, William Holden, and executive suite, and Jimmy Stewart as Glenn Miller. But she's really kind of um, – she really, in a passive-aggressive way, is really pushing, pushing, pushing. And uh, I always find her extremely unlikable. Well, <laughs> but, in anything. But the movies <laughs> seem to treat her as a you know very supportive, stalwart kind of wife, the woman behind the manse kind of thing. And it, it just doesn't play with me. I don't that's like all. her. Did you ever see the Shrike? <laughs> yeah, that that goes along. I mean, that's more overt because we're not supposed <laughs> to like her in that one. But but it's that same kind of thing. Yes. I always feel there's a, a smugness in her about uh, her. I feel like she's very self-conscious about how much the audience is loving her. But what I love about it is that in real life, she was such she was a runaround Sue. She was not yeah. her image. And she yeah. also had she became an alcoholic, which is not something I'm going. Yay! I, I don't like no, her, no. but you know, I, I agree with you. She is not my favorite actress. And I like her in 40s stuff. I like her when she's young and and like in Good News and and some of those uh, particularly musicals where she's a real animated, clever, you know, just fun presence. And then she, what happens often? Sometimes they start to take themselves seriously, and it's a disaster. And I think it was for her. But anyway, there's one movie I do like her in, and I like this movie a lot. Um, the Sacred Heart with, um, or The Secret Heart. Oh, Secret Heart, yeah, yeah. With Claudette Colbert. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, I thought she was good in that, and um, I love Claudette Colbert. And it's a good movie. I think it's a very, very good movie. So if you guys ever get yeah. a chance, it's not Sacred Heart. That's very religious and Catholic. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's coming out of me. It's a secret heart. She's also really good in The Girl in White. I like her very much in that. I don't that think I've ever seen that. First doctor and female oh, yeah, doctor yeah. in New York City. I saw that. It's really good. It sounds like you think, oh, it's, it's not going to be, it's going to be, da-. it's really, really good. And, um, and uh, none of those qualities that irritate me and the ones I mentioned are there <laughs> in that mo- in that movie. So she, she, like I said, sometimes you play to parts of your personality that uh, aren't always as appealing as others. That's all. Yeah. So I agree with you on that. Now this one is a controversial one. Are we going back? What are we doing? Am I Whatever. Gonna- go go for it. Go for it. Okay, this is a kind of controversial one because a lot of people love this guy, this character. And it is George Phipps. Isn't that their last name? Phipps. The Phippses? And what, where are we going with? Letter uh, to Three Wives. Oh, I don't, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't George. Yeah. He's married to Ann Southern and um, 
it's Kirk Douglas, and he's a school teacher, yeah. and he is constantly, they go to the country club, constantly moaning about, you know, that they don't get respect, and I'm only a school teacher, and blah, 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 and underpaid, and he's constantly whining, whining, telling everybody about it. Okay, but Rita Ann Southern has a job in radio. She She's writing for one of those, uh, like a soap opera, and she gets 100 smacks a week, which is way more than George gets, and he he benefits off the spoils of her hard work. And one night she decides to have uh, her employers to dinner. And yeah, they're annoying and they're all about commercials and selling time and whatever, but these are her employers. So first she's giving her a hard time. Why do you have to do this? Why do you have to have the pillows fluffed? Well, I like my pillows fluffed. Even if my closest friends are coming over, I want my house to look nice. Then they can unfluff my pillows once they sit down. Mm-hmm. But I want, my, I want my house to look good. She has company. She wants her house to look good and he's being a snot. And um, then he gets an album from... The woman who wrote the letter saying she took one of the husbands, um, this Addie Ross lady, and it's <laughs> it's a classical thing that they were talking about. So they come. He is as rude as can be. He boringly plays, not asking, that stupid classical thing he got, the whole album. Oh, that was fun. Nobody's talking, No, nothing. I mean, he just... To me, that's so rude. And if he was my husband, I'd kick him, I'd take the record, and I'd say, stop. You know, so that was so Mm -hmm. rude. And then he gets mad because the other people put on um, their their soap operas. So, you know, I'd rather listen to their soap operas than his stupid classical music thing that he had. I, I just think he's so rude. And then he starts yelling at them on the way out and, you know, just smug and then, you know, pretentious about the writers he knows. And, and, you know, they're talking about what a great writer the soap opera star is and the soap opera writer is. And he's starting talking about, you know what I mean? I'm an intellectual. Uh So he just is so rude. These are his wife's, you know, employers. She's making the Uh money. He's living Uh off the dough. And, And other people are like cheering him like, yay, he's great. And to me, it's like, you are a real creep. You're a party pooper. And I don't like you, you smug. I'm only a teacher guy. And if it was my husband and these are my peeps, I would have, ah. I just, you know. And then, of course, she apologizes to him that she's all wrong about this. Mm-hmm. He doesn't apologize to her. She apologizes to him. And she agrees not to take calls on weekends or whatever because they do it. Mm-hmm. And apologizes because she's, of course, the wife. Keep working, honey. Make that hundred smacks. But um, do what I say. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he annoys me. I don't yeah. like him. Well, the only thing I would say that I like about, well, what I like about his performance, it's because it's always interesting, all those, the movies he did before Champion, and this one's right before Champion, which kind of solidifies his persona mm-hmm. as, you know, a real physical, volatile actor. Right. That the parts that came out, like, he never plays a guy like George again. Or, like, like Thelma Jorm- Jordan. Like yeah. Thelma Jordan. Um, you know, Martha yeah. Ivers. Yeah, where he, right. we, he, weaklings, even out of the past, he's right. kind of a weakling. He doesn't, st- he doesn't play weaklings or... Um, 
you know, uh, button down intellectuals, you know, uh, that type. And then it was really just even when he was doing a drama like Detective Story or Ace in the Hole, they're very physical, volatile roles mm-hmm. and performances. And it's just interesting what his career might have been if he'd thrown in a few more of those Um I mean, certainly something like Lust for Life, he's out of his uh, comfort zone. Yes. But generally, those most of his 40s roles are things he never kind of touched again. It's just interesting because he's very good in all of them. It's just he's not he's Kirk good. Douglas with a capital K. Yeah, He's yeah. good, but I don't yeah. like him. He yeah, has, know, he know, has his charm. He does. He yeah, has moments yeah. where he's very charming, just very good guy. Yeah. But that right. that bit about that night that was so important to his wife yeah, yeah. that he could not be supportive of her, that he takes over and just puts on an, uh, a classical record. Most people, not everybody likes that. And, you know, you right. want to talk a little bit or do something. And he just, I don't know. So yeah. he had yeah. his charm at moments, but don't like you, Mr. George. You're next. You're on. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. right. Um, well, uh, I'll go to, again, someone. Well, I'll just describe it. You can decide which category she's in. Uh, Catherine Hepburn in The Philadelphia Story. Um, we are meant to like her to a point. Right. Uh, because the script uh, basically condones the blame that she has to take on for her ex-husband's alcoholism played by Cary Grant and her father, John Halliday, for his cheating on his wife. If only he had a daughter. Who <laughs> worshipped him. ridiculous reason. Who worshipped yeah. him. Yeah, that he wouldn't have to seek a young woman for sex or something, you know, something. It's unbelievable. It, 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 the point is not necessarily what the reasons are, but how dare they exactly. <laughs> blame her Ugh. for their actions as adult human beings. And, of course... You know, she left Hollywood two years earlier when she was box office poison in 1938, went to New York. Philip Barry wrote this play for her, which sort of the character Tracy Lord is a Catherine Hepburn stand in someone who is uh, very accomplished and kind of superior who needs to be taken down a few pegs so the world can fall in love with her again. So right. it worked both on the stage and in her career, and the movie did the same thing. She was never out of favor again for the rest of her life. But the audience needed to see her uh, humanized, so to speak, taken down a few pegs, and that's what the movie does. She gets what they would call a, I mean, in quotes now, a woman's heart. <laughs> she has to, you know, feel and not be superior walk around feeling superior and so demanding and exacting. And so it does, but I always feel like she's really not that horrible all the way through. I mean, when she has that great scene pretending, uh, uh, when she meets Jimmy Stewart and Ruth Hudson and she puts on that whole act yeah, that's of funny. what she With is, she she's Diana. hilarious. Yeah. She's a barrel of laughs. This woman, she's yeah. clever. She's, uh, she's, dazzling she's you know fashionista <laughs> she's, yes. she's fabulous uh and so uh i don't really see why she has to be sort of dragged down and of course that was the arc of many of her movies to come even some of the you know the ones with spencer tracy yes. that the audience could love Woman her of if the she year. could be yeah. yeah that's the worst example yeah uh, if if she could be taken down a few pegs the audience could continue to love her and it's just it just doesn't seem particularly uh, as much as you know the Philadelphia story is so delightful in I so many movie, ways yeah. with its crackling dialogue and those three great stars in their primes. Don't forget um, John always, Howard. It, it <laughs> he John had Howard to get back. out of Shangri-La so he could go on a, this movie. 
it leaves a bad taste. It does. I think. Especially it the a bad father. Taste. Yeah, and it just doesn't seem justified, and that, that's all. And what they always describe her as is, you're like a hard statue. You're yes, you're, you're, yes. you're made of marble and stone. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then James, and I don't see that. Me either. I don't either. really see it. Oh, excuse me. She She's, she's angry. Fun. Yeah, she is. But she's, <laughs> she's a lot of fun. She's angry that her father is cheating on her mother. She's taking yeah. up for her mother. Yeah. And, you know, come on. It's and yeah. he's, it's humiliating her mother because it's in the papers, it's in this and that, and you come on. I, I just yeah. find it obscene, but I do love the movie. And yeah. Jimmy Stewart says she's Holocaust and hearts and fires and flames. Yeah. Yeah. He's really, you know, infatuated as we know. But um, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. It's not fair. It's a great movie, okay. but that that's not fair at all. Okay, so I'm going to go to this one, um, and this is. A place in the sun. And as mm-hmm. we know, you know, uh, Montgomery, Clift, and Elizabeth Taylor are beautiful together in this. This is their first film together. This is where they became friends. Elizabeth fell in love with him. Um, she was only 18 or 17. And um, they just had amazing chemistry. But in the first, you have to have Shelley Winters as a dumpy, you know, poor Alice who works in the... Um, uh, assembly line at the factory that George's family owns, and he's going to work his way up. So he's lonely. He sees Alice one night, and they start going out, and then they start uh, that cha-cha music, and it's raining out, and <laughs> we know what happens. <laughs> when cha-cha music plays, only one thing can happen, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so she gets pregnant, and um, he's trying to, you know, she goes to the doctor and she's trying to see, you know, she wants to get an abortion. And he says, no way, Jose. So now Monty, that's it. Life over. But Angela Vickers, the beautiful Elizabeth, loves him. And he gets, and he falls in love with her. And uh, he has to keep Alice, Shelley Winters happy, who looks like, and she said it, she, she had a very hard time looking, herse- looking at herself on film because she was so frumpy and ugh. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then there's gorgeous Elizabeth. So she said, I couldn't take it, but she did a good job. But, mm-hmm. but you just, you know, I don't hate her, but we're supposed to, but she's pregnant and what she does is actually, he lies to her, says he's going on vacation and she sees in the paper that he's been with you know, Elizabeth Taylor, and then she says, if you don't come now, I'm going to go to them. I'm going to go to them. And she, you know, shrieky tells him. And so he has to leave right away. And he goes to her and she said, we've got to get married now. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to tell them. And he, and he starts thinking, you know, she doesn't know how to swim. Let's go to this lake. <laughs> and, right. um, you know, they go out in a rowboat and then she starts like, well, they're horrible. He's just had this wonderful experience wonderful thing with a woman he is madly in love with. It won't be so bad being poor, George. My parents were poor. And she's just going on about poverty and all this stuff. And um I it's it's just questionable. Did he did he not try to save her? She gets up to go to him because he's like, stop, stop, stop. And she falls over. And I noticed he he, you know, he jumped off the other end of the canoe, and uh-huh. she was not saved. She was dead. And um, that's the whole thing. His whole life yeah. 
was gone and because of Shelley. And it was, he didn't even know. But in the end, he gets the electric chair and the priest says to him, well, even if you thought it, son, you could, mm-hmm. <laughs> you should be electrocuted. Thought, well, thought crime, right? Well, I feel like uh, in a way with the Shelley Winters character, I both, I think I like her more than I'm supposed to and I hate her more than I'm supposed to. Exactly. In the sense that the character it, it, it's sort of like the the depiction of her in this version so it's Shelley and director George Stevens they go out of their way to make her really annoying and really drab and all she really needs to be is ordinary she does all she has to do is not be elizabeth taylor right. not only stunningly beautiful but rich she's she is literally on a pedestal uh and and she doesn't have to they they i think they go overboard they do. in making her a wine uh, or a, somebody yes somebody but would the just take character it. on the page shouldn't be that bad. No. <laughs> and Sylvia Sidney in the original version isn't that bad. No, not in the um, least. And she's more sympathetic because oh, yeah, yeah. she's yeah. been left by her boyfriend and she's pregnant. And I think the movie also tries, this version also tries too hard to make Montgomery Cliff sympathetic all the way through. And I, I think it has, it goes into sort of overdrive to keep that going because it would be a little more interesting if it, we felt more ambivalence toward him. Um, and, and, and even though I admire so much about this film, I feel like the Elizabeth Taylor character is the only one that makes complete sense to me. Uh, uh, like she's sort of perfect as this mix of innocence and oh, yeah, maturity she's great. and she's, and yeah. she kind of gets it. And I'm very, conf- um, not confused. I get what I'm getting from the other two characters, but I'm not comfortable with how they're directed and uh, the end result of how I'm supposed to feel about both of them. Right. Exactly. Because that's a thing. You know, like I said, we are supposed to hate her, but I I like her, but hate her too. I don't like, yeah. you know, yeah. it's that whole thing. But I agree with you because if you saw the first one with Sylvia Sidney, um, you could see she is very sympathetic and well, it, the the guy is not sympathetic, and the thing is, the woman does she even want him, Francis D? You know, so it's a kind yeah. of a whole different story there. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, this one, they they really it's they made her worse than she should have been. Right. So, so I guess make yeah the contrast between her and Elizabeth Taylor was humongous. Yeah, and like you said, and she didn't need to be that bad, and he no. did did some pretty horrible things, and he wasn't very nice. And um, no. but we felt sympathy for him as well. I did. I felt sympathy, yeah. and I did feel. I mean, he did all these sneaky things, whatever. But all right, all right. That's that movie, A Place in the Sun. Yeah. Your turn. Yeah. Okay, uh, this is um, in the guys were supposed to like that I don't. And uh, I'm talking Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from 69. And I'm sure I saw this as a teenager when it was reissued in the 70s. And I loved it like everybody else. And it's so much about just, you know, star quality and and chemistry between Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Nobody really actually cares what's going on. They're right. funny. They're handsome. They're sexy. They're 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 magnetic. And that song, B.J. Thomas, and, and all the background <laughs> music is wonderful. Yeah. Um, 
But as you're watching it, if I think if you watch it again, you, it's interesting that you have outlaws with really no motivation of any interest. They're not seeking revenge. They're not trying to finance some kind of plot. They're not. They're just kind of you know movie stars coasting and being charming and adorable. And it's okay for a while. I really turn on them when they shift uh, and shift. The locations they go to Bolivia, and then they start robbing from a, a dirt poor country, and and I just I don't get what is so appealing about watching people you know steal from other people, rob and um, without I don't know they're they're just kind of empty characters, and the whole movie's kind of empty, and uh, I'm not charmed by them anymore. Um, that's all. <laughs> yeah, I saw it when I was a kid, and I don't really remember. I've only seen it once, and yeah. I do remember raindrops falling on my head, and both sure. of the guys are hunka hunka burning love, you know, sure. uh, the lovely Catherine Ross. So yeah. I take your word for it because I hate that stuff if they're stealing from poor people. Yeah, yeah so I wouldn't watch it, it just knowing that. You know, <laughs> it yeah. would bug me. Yeah. And you're it's, right. I mean, it was just them being adorable and cute yeah. and handsome and, you know, just really hubba hubbas, but... Yeah, it was enough at the time. And um, But, yeah, I don't think it's any uh, anywhere near one of the best Westerns of, of our, our time, or our, our, the last century, say. Not at all. Oh, you know what I watched last night? I saw Network. I haven't seen that in so long. Mm-hmm. Man, how prophetic, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> they were so good in that. And there's, yeah, well, I hate, you know, remember we did, they was robbed. I think that was our last yeah, one. Yeah, 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 And I'm watching Beatrice Straits. I know this is going on, yeah. but I'm just doing this yeah. for two seconds. Beatrice Strait did her, her one monologue thing, and she gets yeah. the Best Sporting Actress. So I'm watching right. it intently, intensely, intently. Yeah, And yeah. I'm like... No, she shouldn't have got the best support. You know, this yeah. was a nice speech, but you yeah. know, geez. Yeah. Anyway, that's my. Well, you know, actually, I'm, actually, that's a good. I'm glad you mentioned network because that actually does fall into this topic. I hadn't thought of it, uh, but you know, because that's another case of how the screenplay vilifies um, Faye Dunaway as representing everything that's awful. And she happens to be from a, to Patty Chayefsky anyway, a younger generation, a female executive, and she's this soulless monster. Whereas um, Chayefsky's contemporary, William, the William Holden character, sort of the stand-in, it's not like he's any saint. No. The thing that separates him is his capacity to feel guilt. And that's supposed to make us think, well, at least he knows enough to feel guilty about all the things he did. And that makes him superior. And I always feel like the movie is very soft on Holden and that generation, Chayefsky's generation, but he has no problem uh, giving no complexity to the sort of villainy of the new generation and women in power and she can be a monster. And I'm sure there are a lot of middle-aged male monsters in well, the I TV saw them. business. I saw a few and, on that yeah. movie. So, I, but, but the they movie, didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah. The movie gives them a sort of a pass. Big time. So that actually fits pretty well into this topic, I think. Good. So yeah. you didn't have to really So I just slipped that in. Oh, I slipped that in. <laughs> okay. So you are up. 
Let's hear it. Oh, um, so this is another one I'll put a bunch of women in the same category where we're not really supposed to like both. And some we're definitely not supposed to like them, but not really supposed to. It has to do with sort of sex and <laughs> from another time. And I'm thinking first of Nina Foshin in American in Paris. She wants to uh, help Gene Kelly, a struggling painter, mm -hmm. give him a big art show and make him the toast of Paris. But she also wants to sleep with him. It's going to be this is what I want and this is what you can have. And he sort of goes along a little bit where he wants her help. But he gets, you know, he's very uh, sort of high minded about the whole thing and manages to put her in her place. And uh, it, it's just that thing of treating women in that era uh, as bad because they have feelings of lust for someone. And I the know. fact that she's rich and, and could use her money to help him and would like him to sleep with her. Um, I, you know, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world, but because, you know, and meanwhile, he's seeing a woman who could be his daughter, technically, yeah. you know, Leslie Caron, who is also, um, not in a love match, but she is uh, engaged to someone. So, He's not exactly doing it all on the up and up, uh, but but there's something about, well, you know, she shouldn't get anyone at the end because she's a scheming, rich, sex-hungry woman. And to a, a lesser degree, I mean, Eleanor Parker in The Sound of Music as the Baroness gets a little of that, too, where not – I mean, she's funny and, and – and, I guess she's treated more likably, but the fact that she's an uh, an older woman and wealthy and and sort of sets her cap on the captain, uh, she's no match for the virginity of Maria right, and her, singing her <laughs> religiosity and the music and all that. And those curtain and, clothes, yeah. Yeah, and it's just sort of like when when they choose the virgin – we're not really supposed to care much about what happens to these other women who were interested in, you know, sex or money or, I or something. I loved Eleanor Parker in that. She was a riot. Yeah, oh, she great. I just great. loved her in that so much. And then I'll, I'll just throw in, in the, although this one's a more obvious one, is, you know, Anne Bancroft in The Graduate, who's clearly more of a, I hate to say villain, but she is more of a villain than the other two. Yeah. And the reason I mention it is just that I always felt like, you know, as a young person in my 20s, I... You know, you totally see it from Dustin and Catherine's point of view and, you know, the, and don't trust anyone over 30 kind of thing. But when you see it now, <laughs> I'm 60, when you see it now, it's like, well, I mean, OK, she's cheating on her husband and then, you know, it gets complicated. And but I always feel like but there's a story there uh, that she has a life and she makes reference to, you know, she want to go to art school and whatever. So we get a hint. That, but there's somebody there who's a complicated person that right. I might feel something for if you let me but they don't want to go there because it's not that kind of movie so I always feel like uh, Mrs. Robinson never really gets a fair shake in that that's all <laughs> yes I agree with you on that one but you know then I understand you know her daughter her daughter marries yeah. her former paramour it, yeah yeah. It, <laughs> it, it, yeah it gets it gets out of hand but uh but yeah just that uh, just from the setup, I always feel like I want to know more about Mrs. Robinson. That's that's all. Yeah, yeah but they can't. The poops. No. Um, okay, no. so another one I do not like. I guess it's because I really do not like this movie at all and the whole premise of the movie. And I know so many people love it and the, you know, four stars, yeah. whatever. The major and the minor. Uh -huh. And this is starring Ray Milland and Ginger Rogers. And Ginger, she has to leave town 
and I don't, do you think this is really a thing? She goes to men's places and washes their hair. <laughs> I've never heard of it, but except aside from that, that movie, but uh, okay. <laughs> and that's supposed to make her of ill repute because later on, you know, one of the men, hair washed men oh, right, right. shows up there and her son's going to the school. I guess you can get a fluff and dry. Do you want the oil massage? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's bizarre. Anyway, she no. leaves and um, she wants, she doesn't have enough money, so she gets half a ticket and she pretends she's 12 years old and she sure doesn't look 12 years old, right. but she acts 12 years old, like she says. And Ray Meland is on um, the train she's on and um, I don't know. He buys it. I guess, and he brings yeah. her to the military. He's a he's in the military, and he brings her to a military academy for I guess high school, and he brings her. To, she stays with his fiance sister, and she's on tour. You know, she she yeah, knows right yeah. away, and right. it's like he falls in love with this twelve year old alleged twelve year old girl, yeah. which is really creepy, and we know it would never be made today. And, you know, he goes chasing after her. <laughs> it, it would just be like, what? Oh, my I, God, it can't be made today because it's so I, stupid, too. Yeah, I, I guess the um, the only way around it, and I, I think of it because, of course, Billy Wilder went on to make Some Like It Hot, where yes. the similar vein in that one is the Joey Brown character pursuing Jack Lemon, and of course you get to the nobody's perfect line. And I love that. The that's whole thing. Right. Did, did does Joey Brown know that Jack Lemon is a man the minute he sees him, and that the whole thing is to him he's pursuing this guy in drag, and that's what he's <laughs> doing. So to, and it's always charming that we never know for sure exactly what's going right. on with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you could, it's not as well done in the major and the minor, but if you want to be more forgiving, Grace, to the movie, you could say he knows from the beginning because they never really let on one way or the other that perhaps he, and maybe I'm being too kind to him, but I think you could make a case that he does know from the beginning, but. It's never made explicit if he does, so you can go either way. Yeah, I don't think – I think he knew and then he had his doubts and then, I mean, he let her just kind of go around with all those yeah. young bucks. So I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I, I take it more that yeah, he yeah. kind of buys it and, yeah. uh, you know, he gets jealous or sort of, sort of things with some yeah. of these boys and, yeah. So I don't think – you know, he suspected in the beginning, but I yeah. think, why would he bring her to the academy? Why would he bring yeah. her with his fiancés? And the fiancé is, yeah, of course, a the, beast. Yeah, you know. Wilder could have had a scene where we know he yeah. knows and he doesn't. No. And maybe that was considered more risque and 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 clever at the time, but... Right now, it's a little more upsetting. Yeah, <laughs> it's, because cre- it's creepier. It's because, very creepy. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's, and it's like, not even that she's tw- not even that she's twelve. She's dressed like she's six. I mean, I know, you know she she's really wearing, goes overboard really, with the lollipop and the pigtails and the and whole the, bit. the knee socks and the whole. Yeah, and, I mean, it's like so and, over the top. Yeah. yeah, and of course it's fun that the other what Diana Lynn, what is she playing fourteen or whatever? Mm-hmm. But she's on tour instantly. That who could believe you? Um, and then it's the old: Do you people believe what they want to believe, or whatever? But, yeah. Uh, um, 
<laughs> yeah, I get you. It's I an, yeah, it just I guess I just don't like the movie. <laughs> I yeah, remember yeah, everybody yeah, telling yeah, yeah. me that and just yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, his fiance, you know, she sure. wants him to be there, but of course she's a beast for yeah. being wondering about Ginger, you know, and she's yeah. supposed to be some yeah. beast or something and come on. Okay. You're on. Yeah. Um and, and uh, this one uh uh someone I, I guess we're supposed to like, but I never could is um, Debbie Reynolds in The oh. Tender Trap. And, uh, it, you know, again, it's it's a real tribute to 1950s conformity where this young woman sets her sights on womanizer Frank Sinatra, of all people, right. who's hardly <laughs> a conformist. But she is going to, in true 50s conformist fashion, tame him and make him everything, uh, you know, that a perfect husband and wife would be at that time. And, uh, you know, she falls in love with him when she sees him sitting in a furniture show in a department store kind of thing. And he fits the picture. Right. And, and she, she goes has a after. Date. She has a date in mind. Yeah. By the time and of course, the movie, married. again, like the women I was talking about earlier, he's got all those women like Carolyn Jones who walk his dogs. But they're not given the same seriousness because in that time they would be considered, you know, what in quotes again, tramps. Right. And she is, again, a virgin. But, you know, the thing that makes me really dislike her, even is separate from all of that sort of uh, domestic, you know, the way it's dated and it's domestic ideas, is the fact that in the movie she's an actress and she's got a good part and a good show. And she's really only doing it till she can find a husband. And as a former performer, someone who could be so cavalier and ungrateful about being successful in show business. And here she is. Yeah, I'm in a show. I'm in New York. And I just can't wait to leave it all when I find a husband. And I just want to slap her for all the people who didn't get that job. And why? (laughs) And so it's even separate from, like I said, all the content. I just just find her so, so ungrateful. And the whole thing is... She tells these people, I can only do it this time yeah. because by then I'm going to be married. Why'd they hire yeah. her? Come on It's not now. like she's, she's that good. I mean, no. <laughs> like Debbie Reynolds, but she's replaceable. Let's yes. face it. Come on. <laughs> and she is. And, it, and she, I love, you know, so she goes, oh, she starts going through his mail. You know, oh, no, uh, when we're yeah. together, yes, I'm going to go through your mail. And so there's lovely Celeste Holmes and, of course, David yeah. Wayne, who's always great, is the second guy. Yeah. And Celeste yeah, was great. great, and he decides he's going to marry Celeste. But in the meantime, of course, he's still in love with Debbie, and he takes off. And it's this whole baloney. And thankfully, Celeste meets a really nice guy who appreciates her, who's seen her. Yes. Playing That's her good. thing, on the way out. right? Yeah. So yeah, I was yeah. really happy for her. But Debbie yeah. Reynolds was a ugh, and yeah. she herself said, "What an idiot! I hated yeah. that character. I hated. Oh, I'm I glad could not to hear that. Yeah, yeah, Debbie hated yeah. it. She really did. Yeah, she said just, she was a yeah. twit. I can't stand that character. So I yeah. think out of yeah. all of her characters she played, she probably disliked that one the most. And I don't blame okay. her. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I don't blame her at all. That's a good choice. Um, where is my, my notes here? Okay. Um, this is one I'm going to put up briefly. Um, we talked about uh, the animal kingdom. And I don't like Leslie Howard. I yeah. think he is a pig. He does his whole thing. Yeah. He lives with Anne Harding. Um, and then she goes away on a thing, and he, they're, they're not as passionate as they once were or whatever. And while he's go- while she's gone, she realizes how much she loves him, wants to marry him, maybe have a kid. 
and pursue her love. She was like a magazine person and, and just do her art. And he was a guy who just wanted to publish, you know, off the beaten path yeah. authors. And she, so he falls in love with Myrna Loy, who is a vixen. And um, she manipulates him, you know, whenever she wants him to do something she wants. She gets really like, and wears all these, you know, sexy stuff. And uh-huh. he, um, he, he, he goes back to, to Anne Harding and he says, oh, let's do, we don't have to change things. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's meet for lunch. Let's give us a kiss, Daisy. Let's do this. Let's do that. And to me, you know, oink, oink. And then uh-huh. at the end, you know, she is a money hungry. She is a C, his wife. She yeah. wants to live in the city. He gets a check. And then he just makes it like, oh, this reminds me of a place in France, you know, like a, a very shishi uh, boom boom France. And they were very artful, you know, hookers that he used to see. And he's calling, see that. And whatever. I just, I think he's, yeah. a, I think he's a pig. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about, uh, again, this is both categories, is a, another 50s one, Love Me or Leave Me, which is a film I really actually love. I do but, too like it very much. And I think much. it was way ahead of its time in in the content, which is basically, I guess, called sexual opportunism. Right. And, and, and they went as far as they could at the time, but because particularly Cagney is so great in it that they go farther than is on the page – um, but uh, obviously he's the thug, he's the gangster, he's the violent guy. So we're not supposed to like him as much as say we're supposed to like Doris Day, who's the aspiring singer who wants to get ahead. Right. And he basically is, I'll, I'll do, I'll open all kinds of doors for you if you sleep with me. And she's basically saying yes, 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 but never following through, um, for a long, long time in the movie. And so I feel like in the script written for 1955, the movie is giving her points for stringing him along without going through with it. Right. And yet I think when you look at it now, it makes her less likable because she's such a user. I agree. She's taking, 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 and not giving what she said basically she would give or implied that she would give. Yeah, it was Meanwhile, a deal. He's a, he's you know? a crook, yeah. but he comes through. He's, first of all, he also does love her. I mean, as, as, uncouth and and sort of as i said with his violent streak and all he's no prize but he will help her and and he he's he plays fair is what i'm saying as as much of a thug as he is he plays fair and she does not yeah she manipulates him and i think like i said the movie seems to give her points for that but i thought i would just respect her more if she was played it straight right and so he ends up being a more complex character and he does resort to shooting someone later on and all but uh (laughs) but um i I, I, she's she's sort of i guess another passive aggressive kind of character who knows just what to say to keep stringing him along yes and never stops taking and so so i i think um I, I like her less. I like him more. But it's still for the time, particularly. They pack a lot of subtext into that story, and it, and it holds up very well. It does. And also, you know, she falls in love with Cameron Mitchell. I don't get Cameron Mitchell. I was going to say, I'd rather me in the take, lamppost. I'd take old man Cagney over yeah, like, what young, was up young with man him? Cameron Mitchell. But I don't anyway. get that, but that's, I know. that's my own Cameron Mitchell thing. I don't think I, I have any more. You have a couple, and we'll talk about those. Um, 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 this one's going to send me straight to hell. 
So just get ready for I this. Know, I know, I know what one we are doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Paul Schofield in A Man for All Seasons, his Academy Award performance. Ooh, and as Sir Thomas More. And and <laughs> it's I just don't, I just find that it's not a very complicated script of the, the famous play. Uh, but it's it's so one-sided. I'd like some sort of doubt. I'd like some, I don't, he's such a, He's such a pontificating, sanctimonious bore for two and a half hours or whatever. Tell us so what you really feel. So <laughs> I, I just get real tired of him and how beautifully worked out every speech is. Yes. And um, uh, it, it loses me. I want something to make the whole situation more complicated. Right. And that he's not just more... such a clear saint, you know, just he's, a saint. He's a clear saint. I'd like some doubt. I'd like some some, like I said, some churning complexity. And all I get is a lot of, of smug per- perfectionism. And I, I want to kind of slap him. But no, <laughs> but there's one more you had that you didn't mention that which I wrote one? down, which was Dorothy McGuire and Gentleman's Agreement. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Dorothy which is Mag- what go, we could finish with her, I guess. That's good. You start, but I, have, I like, that's a good choice. Go oh, ahead. Gee. Yes. Yes, I had two Dorothys. Dorothy, play, uh, of course, Gregory Peck, is playing this wonderful man. He's, he's working for a magazine, and he's going to write about anti-Semitism. And he doesn't really know what he's going to do, how he's going to do it, what he's going to do. And she is, I think, the publisher's daughter or cousin or niece. I don't know what she is. Mm, and yeah, um, some... she's something, a, a relative. <laughs> and he meets her. And he, uh, they talk, and she said, oh, that's fascinating. And he falls for her, which, A, I really know, don't get. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, he decides he's going to live as a Jew. He's going to pretend he's Jewish. He's going to, you know, and this is it. How does he get treated? Does, does he get treated differently? And she is appalled. Don't do this. You can't do this. You can't. And, um... Uh, she Jane Wyatt from Shangri La is also a bigot and plays <laughs> she her sister. She just got in from Shangri La. Yes, yeah. she's there, and and she's and he has a wonderful friend John Garfield who he grew up with, who is Jewish, and he's not being able to get job or, or get a place to live because he's Jewish. He's trying to get sub suburban place because he's got a wife and kids. He doesn't want to live in the city, and he can't get it, and um. She just through the whole thing, the little boy, uh, his son gets beat up and uh, they say, you're a dirty Jew, you're a dirty Jew. And, you know, she hugs him and says, no, don't let them, you're not, you're not a dirty Jew, you're not like yeah. that, you're not, you're not, yeah. you're not Jewish, you're not this. And he gets mad at her and yells at her and she leaves, whatever. I don't, and he has to pretend when they go to their engagement party, everything about her I don't like. I do not like her. Yeah. I love Celeste Home. I right. wished that he went with her. I'm, right. I'm doing, I just don't get it. I don't well, the, the, get yeah, it. Yeah, the problem with that her, the Dorothy McGuire character is that you know she proves over and over again that they're not going to be a good match. She sort of sets herself up as a liberal, but every time she's tested, she fails. Right. You know, she says the wrong thing. She's you know, and it it bristles uh, every single time. But they always manage to forgive each other. And I mean, at some point, sort of the climax, she tells him she hates him. I think for wrecking what they had. But the reason I I I dislike her more than the movie 
dislikes her is the ending, which has them reconcile reconciling at the very end. And you think, who are we kidding? It's just a matter of time. We've it's already been set up. They are not a good match. Not so don't give me least. a happy ending that hasn't been earned. I'm not I'm not rooting for them to be together. I wasn't so, happy. So that doesn't make me happy me that either. they get together. But it's treated <laughs> as a happy ending and we're thinking, yeah, Celeste Holmes perfect for you. She was down to earth, loving, kind and just wonderful. Well, and she gets the Oscar for it, so she doesn't. She's not all alone. Yeah, you know, so I just uh, <laughs> Dorothy McGuire. I just it was not a happy ending to me. A happy ending no. would have been Celeste Holm and he and Kathy going yeah. bye bye, Kathy. See ya. Yeah, just that we're face. we're not we're just not a good match. It's just time to admit it, which they kind of do three times in the movie. So I guess it's like. But then she does <laughs> one good deed because she has. Yeah a dinner with John Garfield and um, I don't know. I just don't like her. She annoys me. I'm just not convinced that they're, that they're going to make a go of it. No. Did his mother like her? I love the mother. I loved Anne Revere in this. Anne Revere. Yeah. I don't remember if she liked her or not. She probably, uh, she wouldn't have told him that anyway. She loved her. (laughs) She never gets out of bed. Right. She has a heart attack. (laughs) She's got the vapors. Oh no. Well, yes. So I think we chose some good people that we, Liked more than we're supposed to dislike, and we disliked more than we're supposed to like. I think that's the right thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> don't make me say it. I don't. <laughs> I'm not sure either, but it is. You know, they manipulate. That they want to manipulate yeah. your feelings to feel a certain way about people, and yeah. it just doesn't work. It doesn't happen. Yeah. No. No. I know it. Oh. I'm sure we'll think of ten more when we. I get know. Off the phone, but, but I know. I think we covered a good range. We of did a very good range. Different ways we can dislike people. Right. <laughs> get out of my movie, Am Spray. <laughs> I'm glad you remember Dorothy McGuire. I have my note, yeah. and for some reason I didn't. Okay. Pull up, so, yeah, she. Okay. I could even do another Dorothy McGuire, but we've got enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah you had to hold yeah. the phone for 56 minutes and 48 seconds. Oh my god. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> Okay, so I hope you guys enjoyed this. I did. Of course, John, I had a wonderful time. And like I said, you're welcome anytime. I always reach out to John. If you ever want to come on and you have an idea, please come to me too, because I'm never sure. I wonder if he wants to come on. I wonder. So I go, okay, let me shoot it out there. Sure. Okay. Definitely. Okay. So thank you, my dear John DeLeo. I will link you. you guys up with all his wonderful books on Amazon and you check him out. He's on Instagram and he posts wonderful photos and wonderful things. And he just knows everything. Let me tell you guys, oh he really God. does. And his books are fab. You will love them. And thank you, John. Thank you, Grace. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And thank you everybody for listening. And believe it or not, we will be, there'll be another episode soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, John. Thanks. Listen to the stories of Tinseltown. They're not only good, they're true.